for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal develop high quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Welcome to the Fall Podcast, where the focus is on deer hunting, tips, tricks, tactics, and stories from across the Midwest. And now, here is your host, Aaron Blisey. Welcome to the Fall Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Blasey, and this is episode number eight. On today's episode, I'm joined by a good buddy of mine, Stephen Stockman from Northern Missouri. Stephen and I dive into a lot of different topics, but you know, from an outsider looking, looking in, you know, Stephen has an unbelievable ability to break down a piece of property and really hone in on bucks, on mature bucks, and really find their core area and kill that deer. He's done it time and time again, and we dive into a little bit of that. We also talk about a three-year quest he had with a deer he called Boomerang, and he had a lot of history with this deer, and he ended up killing him as a five-and-a-half-year-old in late season in Missouri. So it's a really cool story. You don't want to miss this one. It's, uh, it's pretty cool how it unfolded, so I hope everybody enjoys it. All right, here we are. We are back for episode eight of the Fall Podcast, and today I have a very close friend of mine on from northern Missouri, Stephen Stockman. Stephen, how you doing? Good, man. How are you, A.B.? I'm doing good. Glad we could get some time here. I know you're up in New York and on a little little work trip and we'll we'll get into that here soon but before we get too far i'd like to like to have you tell everybody you know who you are and i mean i obviously know who you are and where you're from and and kind of what you do for a living yeah you want the you want the real story you want just a fabricated story (laughs) i want the real story because i already know every story i know all the fabrications uh, well, the real story is I'm just a country boy, basically from uh, North Central Missouri, and uh, grew up there all my life. And just been a, it's been a passion of mine, just bow hunting, and and just like you know everyone else, you know I grew up uh, rifle hunting on the family farm with my dad, my brother, and my mom, and uh, really taking a passion for deer hunting and turkey hunting. And uh, man, I, I, I'm trying to think of what age it was. I know I was young. Um, when I first got my first bow, uh, but once I did, it was like a light switch. Um, I got to the point where, you know, I still loved to gun hunt, but man, bow hunting was my thing and, and I'm not an expert whatsoever. Um, and I'll never, ever claim to be because I've killed some nice deer, but nothing like holy moly, crazy big, you know? Um, but some good mature bucks. And I can say that every deer I've got on my wall, I have killed with a bow and not a gun. So, um, and not that I have anything against gun hunters cause I don't whatsoever. It's just a passion of mine to bow hunt. 
Um, but, uh, so yeah, I started bow hunting at a young age and then turned into just a, an absolute burning fire passion and, uh, kind of led me to where I am today. I went off to college for a while and, and, uh, and then went to work in the city and got an opportunity to move back to my hometown when I was, oh man, 24, 20, 26 probably. And, uh, you know, met my wife, started a family and, and, uh, worked as a lineman for a telephone company in Northern Missouri and, uh, Southern Iowa. And, uh, so after work as a lineman, I, I started, I started following my passion of, uh, setting up hunting properties for clients. Um, so one by one, I started picking up clients, um, and, uh, setting their farms up and helping them, uh, just trying to help them, you know, make their farm as good as it could be. And, and, uh, you know, some of these guys didn't have time to do it, you know, so they really wanted me to do it. It was extra money for me and my family. So, you know, I was a hundred percent on board and, uh, just loved doing it anyway. So it wasn't, it was like not even working. Um, so that's kind of led me to where I am today. I did that. And, uh, through the love of the, the passion of setting up farms and, and whitetail deer and, and habitat work, uh, I, I just met the right people and was fortunate enough to uh, to get offered a position um, to do it full time. Uh, so I've been doing that full time for about a year now. Um, I work with Paul Sawyer of Whitetail Properties and um, I set his farms up for him and, and help him um, on all his stuff and achieve the goals on his properties, um, along with. Uh, several other other clients that we still have in uh, southern Iowa, northern Missouri. Um, but through all that, I've also went and got a real estate license and uh, hold my license with Whitetail Properties and uh, will eventually be a buyer's agent um, around my area with another um, well-respected um, big buck killer in north Missouri. Um, and very, very excited about that opportunity because it's, it's in my backyard, you know, working, uh, working with him and doing stuff. So all that will kind of go hand in hand, you know, with, uh, with, uh, helping buyers, um, around Northern Missouri, find the property of their dreams and, and, uh, and then also being able to give advice if they need it on helping set it up and still do, uh, habitat work and, and farm management work on the side. So in a nutshell that's kind of who i am and what i do and and uh you know i'm just just like anybody else i just love to deer hunt and, and really enjoy uh land and and everything that goes into setting it up you you definitely are way too humble because if everybody listening now it's not a lot of people it's probably about three people that are listening but if everybody <laughs> listening could see the deer that you kill and the deer that are on your wall you've got some very very good deer and very respectable deer now you know you were talking about the land management and everything so I, I definitely want to get into that but first of all there's a question I want to ask you about you know when when you're going when you're going into the season you're and you're you're targeting your bucks now to break down for everybody you know break down what your area is about now obviously I know I hunt with you. I've hunted with you last for the last four years, and and yep. I've, I'm familiar with your area. But break down, you know, what your deer, you know, what your bucks are like, and also I want you to break down kind of what you target going into the year. You know, is it age class? Is it, 
Is it, uh, is it inches? You know, what are you looking for? Well, just, just to set the record straight real quick off the get go. So like anyone listening who wants to come to Northern Missouri and hunt, we have really small deer. I mean, there's (laughs) nothing big here. (laughs) Yeah. Just look at my wall. They're real small. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no, all seriously, man. Um, going into the season, um, Dude, I'm just like you or anybody else who just loves deer and deer hunting. I'm just really, really passionate about uh, four and a half and older. Now, I've made mistakes and I've shot my three and a half and I've done my share of, you know, mess ups. Um, but that's just all, you know, a learning curve, you know, and, and it's all just part of it. You know, as long as you're having fun, you're keeping the, you're keeping the, you know, the, I guess the goal um, in mind the whole time and you're trying to work towards it every year uh, to come become a better hunter and, and a better a better you you know um, then I think it's all good no matter what you're shooting as an individual as long as you're having fun and you're enjoying the outdoors uh, me personally I go into the season looking for a four and a half and older now on most of my properties or most of my farms that I have or hunt um, I have a relationship or a, I, I want to say a history with this deer. Um, I, you know, just like anyone, you know, you, 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 you see him at one and a half and two and a half, you don't pay him much mind. But once you see him at three and a half, you're like, okay, well, well, that guy's coming into his own and he's got, he's got this characteristic. So, you know, we'll, we'll give him a name and, and then we'll watch him for next year and see what he becomes and then go from there. Maybe, maybe we won't shoot him as a four and a half and maybe we'll, you know, hunt him as a five and a half or, or, or maybe, you know, maybe he's three and a half and I'm not sure if he's three and a half or four and a half and I want to get in the stand and get my eyes on him and, uh, and see if he is four and a half or three and a half just by judging him on the hoof. And, uh, something like that happened exactly this last season. I actually had a deer show up, um, and I had no idea who this deer was and I still, I still don't because he disappeared on me. Um, but had him on cameras all summer in the beans and had the perfect spot set up for him. I was just waiting. Um, I was running a Reconyx video camera. So I was lucky enough to get the Intel of him going back to bed one morning, like at eight 30 in September, you know, and I know exactly where he went. I knew exactly where he'd been coming into the field. So I waited for the right wind. I went in to get a look on him or get a look at him and ended up you know, I'm set up for him to come to me from the east, and lo and behold, like, you know, any good deer with respectable antlers on his head, you know, he was obviously a nice buck, or I would have been pursuing him. Um, I looked to my right, and he was straight south of me, and he was at 50 yards, and I'm just like, what? I, I've watched him go into this ditch, going to the east every morning, and come out of that every morning, and or every evening and why is he coming here but what i mean he just played the wind just like any other deer would do i mean i was hunting him on a northeast wind that evening and he circled around the creek and came out directly downwind of me um he did not bust me uh, i actually could have killed the deer if i want i had him at 44 yards and decided to pass him because my goal was to go in and look at him and to see if he was a three and a half or four and a half. Once I got my eyes on him, he was a three and a half year old deer. Now give it, he was a 155 inch three and a half year old deer with a bunch of splits and kickers. Um, but still was not the deer that I was going to shoot, um, in late September, 
with my first archery tag. So, um, yeah, like, like anyone else, man, I look for age structure. I go in looking for, you know, I, I try to hunt a specific deer, but I'm not so hung up on that deer that if another four or five year old deer that comes in, um, gives me an opportunity, I won't take a shot at him. You know, I'm, I just like mature bucks, you know, really. Yeah. And I, like, I like the chess game with them. Right. You like, you like the, you like the story. You like to build the story and, and try to capitalize on that. And it's the challenge. You're just like me. I mean, and every, every other bow hunter out there, you know, it's, it's the challenge and it's the, it's the uh, journey. It's not so much the, the, you know, the, it's not so much the kill. It's the journey that makes, makes the whole, whole experience for you. Yep. Absolutely. And yeah. And like now, I mean, I'm even getting into the stage where I'm taking, I have three little girls. I have a, a nine year old, I have a six year old and I have a one that's 18 months. And, uh, dude, I mean, you know, as well as I do, maybe you've been here, but I mean, cadence is completely like a chip off the old block. Dude, she, I, I go through <laughs> trail cameras in the summer and she lays down the front room floor with me and, and she tries naming all these deer and, and she'll be like, is that one a shooter, daddy? And I'll be like, no, you know, probably not. And she's like, it's a shooter for me, right? And I'm like, yeah, it could be, <laughs> you know, but that's been a, that's been a fun new twist on everything is, uh, been able to take her and, and, uh, and get her, get her started, you know, shooting deer and turkey. And she's, she is ate up with it. It's awesome. You know, I mean, she's crazy about it. Yeah, you're not going to get much time to hunt here in the next couple of years either because P's coming up and, and she is going to be another chip off the old block and she's going to yeah. be right there. So you're going to have two little girls that uh, that you're going to have to get on turkeys and deer and, and you're not going to have any time to hunt. No, and, and, and that's fine. You know, I'll, I'll def- I've had, you know, 30 years to to hunt deer and do my thing i'll step back and and uh as long as they're willing and they're interested in doing it then by golly i'm gonna try to take the time and and do my thing and and uh and teach them i might even have to recruit you to come up and set with one of them hey i'm i'm all for it you know i i feel like i'm part of the family i've been i've known you guys for the last four years now and yeah i've been there quite a bit and i love those girls they're they're the best and I'd be more than happy to come up and and uh, sit with them and make sure they they shoot the right the right deer. <laughs> well, for them, they're all the right deer. You know, Cadence has killed. A, she killed a year and a half year old the first year, which was two years ago, and then last year, uh, last year we wasn't able to capitalize on the first youth season. She went with my dad, um, but uh, they didn't have any luck, or Cadence couldn't get on a deer, um, and they didn't get one killed. I was in Oklahoma filming at the time. Um, in late October. And, uh, so I came back home and I hunted with her and, uh, you know, this story, um, you know, this story already, but, uh, so I filmed up on the Iowa line with Paul, um, through rifle season. And then he went back home, um, to take care of stuff. And I, uh, went hunting with Cadence in the regular use season or the regular rifle season. Now there's only a couple of days left of season and, uh, we were up on the hilltop blind and, and, uh, I'd been hunting a deer all year last year that I called hush hush and, and the deer, he's the deer comes, oh, <laughs> oh yeah, just, just a mid seventies deer. And the cool thing about that deer was though, he was four and a half last year and I was thinking he might've been five, but 
after finding his pictures from the previous year, he was definitely a three and a half. That was like a mid thirties. So from three and a half to four and a half, that deer went from mid thirties to mid seventies, which is unbelievable. Yeah. So, and who knows, you know, what he'll be this year. Um, I'm just, I, I keep saying he's my next, he's not my next, but he's going to be the next 200 in that area, you know, given this year and next yes. year to, provided, you know, someone kills him or doesn't kill him this year. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, the deer hush hush comes out at daylight and uh, it's the first time I've got a set with cadence rifle hunting this, this past rifle season. And I said, all right. And I've, I had a decoy out already. And I said, now dad's going to grunt and try to turn him our wave. It's, it's like the 14th or, or 16th of November. So it's, it's just breaking daylight. I could kill him myself right now. And he's by himself. He's not locked down. He's How far did you say he was away? He was a hundred yards, maybe just a touch over 120. Um, but he's up on his feet. He's cruising all by himself. I grunt. He doesn't hear me. I grunt louder. He heard me. He does not look. He never missed a step, and he never looked my way. Now, I'm confident if he would have looked and saw the decoy, he would have stopped and maybe came in a little bit, and she would have killed him. But after that deer gets off, she's like, oh, man, Dad, you should have killed him. And I'm like, no, no, I, this is your hunt, baby. You know, I'm, I'm here with you. And and she said, yeah, but you deserve that deer. You've been hunting him all year, and you deserve him. You know, you should have just took the gun and killed him. And I was like, no. That's not how this works. You know, I, what kind of a dad would I be to take you out deer hunting the first time of the year? And then at first light, shoot the biggest deer on the farm. You know, that doesn't even make good sense. It's, it's like, it's like wiping before you poop. It doesn't make any sense. (laughs) You know, uh, and that just, that speaks volumes about both of you, because as you alluded to, she's a chip off the old block. I can attest to that because that is you to a T. You would do anything for anybody before you. I don't care if you knew the person or not. That's just you. And for Cadence to do that as well, I mean, you know, to say that she wanted you to kill that deer, you know, and she probably didn't want to kill that deer because she wanted you to do it and you deserved it. And, you know, that just you've you've raised that girl right and you know, and your and your father raised you right. You know what I mean? Oh, like yeah. it's, you, you can't find a lot of people out there that would do that same thing. You know, mid seventies deer come out for, <laughs> you know, first light. I mean, a lot of people are gonna try to kill that deer if the if you know if the, if their kid can't. Or, you know, if it's just out of range, a lot of people are gonna do that. So, <clears throat> well, I've had a lot of. I mean, it's not just me. Mama, her mama helps a lot. Christy is amazing mama and she really you know instills a lot of a lot of stuff into the girls and and uh, it's definitely a working partnership it's not a one-sided deal so yeah yeah it's all fun it's all good but to, to, to let everybody else know cadence actually did end up killing a good buck that year as well um and you know and i'll put some pictures up on social media of that too because she was so happy that you guys called me or after you killed them and ABAB, I I killed one, I killed him, you know, and it was, I just, I'll never forget that phone call when she called, and it was, it was really, it was really cool just to hear her voice, and I could just, I wish I was there with you guys, but it was really cool. Oh, man, it was actually amazing. It was the second youth season in the end of November, and it was over Thanksgiving. Um, It was like a three-day hunt right over Thanksgiving, and um, 
man, we'd, we'd hunted morning and evening and we'd had some mishaps and she hadn't been able to get the job done or pull the trigger. And, and, uh, we kept uh, seeing these deer that just coming out out of range, just out of range. So the last day we drive in me, Presley and Cadence in my truck, we drive in, pull the blind that we had set in the cedars that had brushed all in. I moved it, relocated 200 yards to the East and then brushed it all back in with cedars came back that night we were running late because we were coming from thanksgiving dinner and uh we get in the blind like at four o'clock i think and uh literally she'd been playing um she'd been playing this you know crying wolf game with me all weekend like get a good buck and i'm like yeah whatever you know and she's like no really i'm like i'm looking i'm like where you know and i got binoculars up and i'm looking she's like i'm just kidding i'm like <laughs> i'm like sis you're gonna I'm, I'm you're gonna say that and dad's not gonna listen so that's gonna be a lesson one day you know and then literally we're in the blind and i'm like glassing everything's set up and i'm glassing and i'm looking all around and we've got deer out here and we're watching and all of a sudden she's like yeah big buck and i'm like yeah whatever you know so i'm, I'm still just glassing up she goes no really dad right here and i'm I put my binoculars down slowly and look, literally, this four-and-a-half-year-old deer comes out at 25 yards from us, comes straight from behind us, comes down through the CRP, crosses into the field, and comes out into the, the bean field, the cut bean field in front of us. And I've seen this deer one time on the hoof. I have probably no less than 100 videos and pictures of the deer from last year. And I've seen him one time in daylight on the hoof. Everything else has been nocturnal. And just like it was supposed to happen. I mean, he strolls out, you know, when we first see him, when she saw him at like 25 or 30 yards, when I first saw him, he was at like 40. And then she gets on the gun and I, I stop him and he turns broadside and she ends up squeezing off and she just smokes him and he dies like at 40 yards right beside us. I mean, it was, and literally AB, she jumps straight up on my lap, gives me the hug and says, you're the best dad in the world and just cries. You know, and that just melts you, you know, oh, as a yeah. human, that's just, wow. I can't wait for that moment if, you know, if, uh, if Peyton, yeah. if she takes the hunting and, you know, and wants to do that, I, you know, I can't wait for that first moment, whether it's a turkey or a deer or whatever it is, you know, that's just, that's, that's what it's all about right there. Well, you, you'll remember it the first time, the second time, the third time, the fourth time. I mean, I've hunted with a lot of people and I've had a lot of fun in the outdoors, but dude, there's nothing like passing on to your kids and seeing the excitement on their face when they really have got that fire, you know, and, and, uh, and I've been easy on the girls, you know, I don't, I don't want to push it. I don't want to pry. I don't want them to do what they don't want to do. If they want to be cheerleaders, I want to be cheerleaders. If they want to be a football player. I want to be a football player. If they want to deer hunt, I want to deer hunt. And that's, that's what I've always said. You know, I'm like, if you want to go, then dad will take you. If you don't want to go, then you know, do backflips on the trampoline. I'm, I'm all about that too, you know? Yep. Uh, but yeah, Cadence is a hundred percent on and, uh, Presley, she will be too eventually right now. She's still kind of like iffy, kind of wishy-washy on it, but she'll come around. I think she'll be fine too. She'll do it. Yeah. And to go back, I, I don't know if I ever asked you, but you know, you said, and I remember when you were not talking about that deer throughout the season, um, and you were saying, that that deer is just so nocturnal. I mean, every time you saw him on camera, he was nocturnal, nocturnal. Yeah. What do you think made him come out and, you know, in the daylight, daylight hours to, to get a shot at him? What do you think was the deciding factor for that? Well, 
honestly, I think the deciding factor was is that it was the that second rut phase kind of deal thing, um, or the tail end, because every buck we'd seen the prior two days had been coming out checking does, uh, running each other around the field. The bucks had been running each other around the field, pushing certain does around the field, and um, honestly, I was you know, I was really hoping that she would get a crack at one of the big guys on the farm. You know, we had a, a couple of good deer on the farm last year and I was really hoping she'd get a crack at one of them. But, uh, I think that, you know, I think what happened was that deer strolled out and he was checking the field and checking some does and maybe going to go check a scrape over on the edge of the field and, and, uh, ended up getting, getting, uh, getting shot by cadence, you know, on the way out. But, um, that's kind of what I'm thinking now, but it was just that, you know, seeking phase still, he was, he wasn't locked down. He was up rolling and, and just got caught. So. Cause you guys were hunting, it was a cut bean field, wasn't it? It was. Yep. Okay. So you were looking over a cut bean field. So, I mean, that could have had a little bit to do with it, but I think I agree. I mean, those bucks, he was probably just cruising and, you know, looking for that next possible doe that might be into heat too. Yeah, because because honestly, every deer that came out in the morning and evening the the prior prior two days, they weren't really coming to feed. They were coming to check. You know, we'd had fifteen to twenty does in the field every night, and uh, the bucks that were coming in were moving around, chasing each other around, and and really picking out these grow doe groups and and trying to you know get down and and send them, you know, and seeing if any of them were in estrus. Right. Yep. And what time of year was that second? What time of year does that second uh, use season fall? Yeah, right around Thanksgiving. It was right around like, uh, I want to say like the 22nd, 3rd, and 4th, somewhere in that area of November. You know, and that's that's another thing. It might be a good transition point. I want to talk about Missouri and how they deal with their seasons and their, like, their telecheck system. You know, Michigan, in my opinion, we're kind of behind the times. Um in my opinion, you know, I've hunted a lot of different states. I've and got to be around a lot of different states like Illinois, Kansas, Iowa, Missouri, Ohio, Indiana. You know, like a ton of different states and that's and like Wyoming, everything. And a lot of those states they do that telecheck. Mm-hmm. And I think Missouri does it one of the best ways. Can you break down like how the what the process is for a hunter after you know, that hunter kills a deer and what they have to do and, you know, how that process works? Yeah, it's actually pretty simple. I mean, if you have a tag, which anymore, like Missouri has an app, you can just download on your phone and enter your hunter education system number and all that kind of stuff in there. If you don't have that, you got a social, whatever, get your role in it. And uh, it pulls up everything. And then as you start killing deer, harvesting deer and whatever it and checking your tags, it keeps a record on your app on your phone. That's this is one method. There's you know, you can also call in and do a telecheck and and just go through a, a checklist and tell them what you've got and the number of points and what county and all that kind of stuff, which is really, really easy also. Uh, but the app is really unique because basically you just click on your app, you punch your tag it says, do you really want to do this? Because you can't reverse it if you do. And you say yes, if you want to. And, and then you just put in your points, your county, and and basically notch your tag. And it's done deal. It's it's turned into the Missouri Department of Conservation. And and uh, within a, a day or so, it comes up on your phone to where when you look at that app, that tag is notched. You know, and it tells you what tags you have available still. And you don't physically have to tag the deer, right? 
You don't know. You used to, but now if you just have the tag in your possession, as long as the deer is with you in your possession and you have the tag in your possession, then that's all you need. Now, if you take the tag or take the deer somewhere, you need to give the tag to that person or, or, you know, whatever you, the locker or whatever you're doing, you got to have the tag with that meat. But yeah, as long as the deer is in your possession, you have the tag on you. It doesn't have to physically be on the deer. I gotcha. And now I know that you work pretty closely or, you know, you know, you know, the DNR officers and you know how all that stuff works because your dad's the sheriff of the county. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, by doing that system, do you think your guys as, you know, Missouri as a whole, their harvest numbers are very accurate? Yeah, I feel like they're very accurate. Now, we also have that four-point restriction rule. Now, sometimes, you know, I feel like, and, and I'm not, not picking on anybody or not saying, I'm just saying sometimes I feel like there's deer that are shot, you know, that don't need to be shot. And when people get to them, I look at them and I'm like, eh, you know, he's he's not legal or whatever. We'll brush him under the under the trees here and we'll go hunt again or whatever. So I'd say there's probably some deer that aren't tagged every year, um, unfortunately, but uh, that could happen regardless of the four point rule or not. Um, but I think that might be, you know, if, if it's not legal, then no one wants to pay a fine. You know what I mean? Right. And I think, I think you probably get that anywhere in any state, you know, yeah. just hunters not being ethical and everything. But I guess, you know, until I get a little more educated, which I feel like I'm, pretty educated on Michigan's process, but I just don't think our harvest numbers are very accurate. Like, because we don't have to check any deer in my whole life. I've never checked one deer. Really? Um, Yeah, really. And, you know, I've killed, you know, three or four bucks or three or four deer over in Missouri. I've checked everyone because I've had to, you know, and I remember back in the day, um, 2012, the first time I ever went to Missouri and, and <laughs> hunted, I was actually filming, but I remember the people I was filming, they killed the doe and you know, you had to, you had like, I think it was till t- you had until 10 or midnight that night to call it in or something like yeah, that. Midnight. And then, and then they spit you back a number that you write on your tag and then you, yep. then you tag your, your deer. And that was the first time I ever really got an experience with the telecheck, which I was like, that's awesome because it automatically is into the system right away and there's no cheating. There's no, you know, it's, it's right there. And, and also I think at that point, I don't know if it was Missouri. I know Illinois at one time when I hunted Illinois, they asked me how many bobcats I saw, how many coyotes I had saw, how many turkeys I had saw up to that point. So that was kind of cool too. You know, and I don't think, I mean, I don't really think they expect you to give like a, like a solid number, but they sure. want a, they want a roundabout number for those other animals, but anyway, what I'm getting at is I feel like the numbers are more accurate out there than they are here in Michigan, and I could be totally wrong, but and and all my all my close friends and everybody, I've I don't know anybody in Michigan that's actually checked a deer, not one. Yeah, I'd say if you're if you guys aren't checking deer, then I don't know how it would be a hundred percent accurate, you know. Yeah, but. You know, there's surely a method. They w- they'd have something in place. You know, right? And I think I actually have heard some scuttle around that there might be something like that coming to Michigan, like a telecheck or something. I don't know, but um, the app thing for Missouri, and I know personally, the last two deer I think I killed in Missouri, I did with the app, and it's, I mean, it literally takes three minutes, and you're yeah, it's done. simple. It's yeah. so easy. Your tags punched. It's done. 
Um, and I just think it's, it's too convenient to not do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. there is check stations around Michigan, but you have to physically take the deer to the check station, which can get difficult for, you know, hunters. Let's say, let's say you don't get the deer out of the woods until 10, 11 o'clock at night. You know what I mean? You really don't want to take that deer to the check station. But if you can have an app or if you can have, you know, a call in, then that's perfect because you can do it right there, right before you field dress it or right at the truck or something when you get it loaded up. Call it in real quick. takes five minutes. Get it done, you know. Yeah, I 100% see both sides of that because I remember when I was growing up, we had a telecheck station that we had to take our deer to physically, you know, and and uh, I personally love that because I got to see what neighbors and friends and people in the county were killing. You know, we'd we it'd be a line of like 15 or 20 or 30 trucks and you'd literally park and you get out of your truck and you walk up and down just talking to people and hearing their deer story and what happened and what they killed and you know oh my gosh this one was fighting and this one was breeding a doe and this one was breeding this one was breeding another buck or you know whatever i mean there was all sorts of stories going on you know and i personally like that but then again i see the flip side because i also like the convenience of just having it done over with and everything's taken care of and I can process the deer or, or take it to the locker or whatever I'm going to do with it, you know, sooner. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, and not to bring up memories, did you kill a deer that first trip to Missouri when you were here filming? <laughs> I, I just wasn't sure. I didn't know. I, I did. <laughs> actually, no, I didn't. Not the very first trip. It was the second trip I actually killed a deer. The second trip you killed one. <laughs> But it okay. was the same year. I actually killed two bucks that year believe it or not, in the same ditch. How far away? Uh, I would say a good 400 yards away, and there were two would, great hunts. I would agree with that, probably 400 <laughs> yards apart, yeah. Yeah. That is, uh, that stand that I killed that first deer out of was, I still love that stand, rattled that buck in, first buck I've ever rattled in, and that was that's a hunt I will never, ever forget. I mean, that was a textbook, textbook, uh, morning hunt, crisp, cold, you know, you could hear a pin drop from a mile away. And as, as the sun, I mean, the sun hasn't even cracked, but it's, you know, it's daylight enough and pick up those antlers and crack them together. And that deer ran in. I mean, it was just unbelievable. It was. Yeah. And like to set this up for the, for the listeners, I mean, this stand you're in is halfway down a steep bank and this ditch is probably about 80 yards wide or 70 yards wide going east and west. That you know? falls between a hay field and a cut corn field at the time. That's right. And this ditch is probably a good half mile to three quarters of a mile long, probably connecting, you know, a, a major creek and a block of timber and another block of timber on the other end. So you get travel up and down it. Well, the stand is halfway down the hill, maybe three quarters. And literally when you're in the stand, you're eye level to the hay field to the south of you. And this deer just barreled into AV's horns and dropped in. You know how they do when you hit the horns together and they're close and they react so fast and they're rutted up. He just blew in underneath AB and, and uh, it was game over basically from there. But um, that's, that's how this is. And, and it's kind of crazy because Sawyer and I had a hunt out of that stand this year um, in November. Same thing. He hits the horns and boom, you know, with, he's still rattling and I'm trying to get the horns stopped because the deer is blowing in directly underneath of us. And, and, you know, it was a good three and a half year old buck with a lot of potential. Mm-hmm. Um, so we passed him up, but that stand is just really good for that scenario right there. Yeah. 
Yeah, that that's one of my favorite stands, and I mean for good reason. But it's you know that was my that was my first out of state buck I think that I shot. Um, and thank God I had it on film. Yeah. I mean he wasn't much of a deer at all, um, but. You know, just the way it happened, I feel like he was probably a little bit of an older deer. I don't know what you thought. It's probably a good deer to probably get out of the herd. I thought the deer from, I was at work that morning. I remember you guys calling me. I thought the deer was 100% a four-year-old deer. He could have been a giant three-year-old. Either way, if he was a six-point and he's a three-year-old, he needed killed, you know? And that's the thing. Like it, um, it happened so fast. The deer, and all I saw was a frame coming through. And, yeah. you know, and it... uh like I said, it, it just happened fast. Like I couldn't get the antlers out of my hand quick enough and get the bow in my hand. And just to let everybody know too, disclaimer, the deer was a six point. At that time, you could not shoot six points in Missouri, which yeah. I, you know, it's my fault. I really didn't know that. And to be honest with you, it happened so fast. I didn't even, I just saw a pretty good frame coming at me and didn't even know it was a six point. And, uh, you know, but like what Stephen alluded to a little bit ago about deer, you know, hunters putting their deer underneath the, you know, some leaves or something and just going hunting again. I, you know, I wasn't raised like that and, you know, I knew I screwed up. So I called the DNR and, and, uh, they came out and checked it out and, and I, I did get fined. Um, but I did want to do the right thing and donated the meat and everything to, the the homeless and everything and the hunger the you guys have a program there that you did or that you have and then we we donated yep. the meat and everything and and uh nonetheless it, it did kind of ruin the experience just a little bit but still still to this day i'll never forget it because it was an unbelievable hunt but um you know it was just one of those things that everybody makes mistakes i won't lie i made a mistake and i made sure i paid for this mistake as well so yeah, and that's the that was the cool thing, and that was one of the things I respected the most out of that you guys. I mean, that was there was no question; it was just going to be done done right, and and that's you know I think that was the the important message that everyone needs to get out of it that you have to own up to your mistakes, not only in deer hunting but in life. I mean, you just have to own up to it and and be a man and and just accept it. You know, um, like you said, we're all human; we all make mistakes, and it's it's basically how we handle them is what you know, defines it from the rest. So, um, uh, that was a good, that was a, a good decision and that's just how it should have been handled. I'm, I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, and the, on the plus side, I got to meet the, the DNR officer, really nice guy. <laughs> yeah. Which unfortunately he's, he's actually retiring, um, in July this year. So he's just got a month left and he's gone and we're going to have a, we'll have a new, um, young guy who's going to be absolutely gung ho. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm a hundred percent all for that. Yeah. Um, not, not that Jim wasn't, Jim was a, a very good agent. He's been a very good agent for many, many years and uh, I've got a lot of respect for him, but, um, with him going out, they always bring in someone else younger, just out of the Academy basically. And, or, you know, someone who's been working somewhere, but is still very young. And, um, I think the new one will be a gung ho and I think it'll be good for our area and, and uh, in general, you know, just to try to keep people honest and cut down the poaching and the whole nine yards. Yeah, and, you know, there's a reason why Missouri does the, the you know, adults can't shoot six points. I think they can now, right? They changed the rule now? 
Yeah, and I, I, I see both sides of that too. You know, as a deer manager and as a guy who likes stories and stuff with deer and 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 follows particular deer, there's been a couple of occasions where I've had some bully six points that were four and five years old that I just loved to kill, and you, I couldn't. You know, I mean, I I personally had an opportunity to shoot one, you can't do it, and and you have to. I could have had my daughters. I mean, Cadence could have killed one of them, but I've always just told her she can kill what she wants to. If she wanted to kill it, she could. If she didn't, she didn't. Um, but now well, I guess where I'm going with that is now that we've had a couple cases of CWD introduced back into the County as of this year or as of last year's season. And so they're taken away. We can't do corn piles. We can't do mineral sites and, and, uh, all that stuff anymore. No feeders, um, uh, any longer. So starting as of July this year, um, they also, took away the uh, point restriction for our county in Missouri, um, which opens up everything. So I see the value in that and I see the harm in that, you know, coming from and not trying to, I'm not even going to say it, but I just see, I see both sides of that. Cause as a manager, I like to shoot six points if he's mature and, and is a buck that we need to get out of the, you know, get, get gone because he's a bully or something like that. And his genetics are completely poor. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, so that's in the works for this year. So there's no point restriction. So you can shoot anything you want this year. Well, perfect. Now I'll have to come and find some bully six points. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll set you up tight on them. No. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is, is I know I said it before, you know, Accidents do happen, and yeah. I'm not trying to sugarcoat it at all. I screwed up, you know. I screwed up, and it took away from the experience a little bit, but it was also a good experience to go through because, you know, it just ever when I walked up on that deer and saw that deer, and I knew it was a six point, and that's kind of when it when it hit me. And then you and I had kind of talked about, it and I'm like, darn it, I I don't think this is a legal buck. And that just, you know, I learned something there, you know, always know what you're shooting or always know what you're, you know. Identify your target. Yes, and know the rules as well. Um, I think it was something you and I probably had talked about before then and in passing, but it never really registered. You know, you always get into the heat of the moment kind of thing. Sure. Your first out of, my first, you know, big out-of-state trip and everything, and and it just kind of. You know, I screwed up, and you know, it 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 uh, it it wasn't the greatest. I mean, it sucked, but I mean, those are the things you got to live with them. And you know, on on the plus side, I got a bully six point out of there for you. So <laughs> yeah, I know absolutely. And and you know what? Um, at at the end of the day, it's not the end of the world either. You know, like I said, you you manned up and you it respect. You know, you accepted the responsibility. You did what was right, and yeah, it took a little bit away from the experience, but it was also a lesson, a very valuable lesson. That, and, and you've never even came close to making something like that since then, you know, and you've killed three deer since then, I believe, yep. um, up here with me. So um, it's just it was one of those things. And just so the listeners know, I mean, a couple of weeks after he killed that deer, his name did come out in the paper. And uh, my wife, Christy, took a snapshot <laughs> of it and sent it to him as a ha ha. Look what's in the paper. And. He he didn't find it real funny after the two weeks of it, um, but it's funny now. I made the local gazette. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you darn sure did. Leave it to Chrissy to send me a picture of that too. 
yeah, come in from Michigan, stir up all kinds of crazy <laughs> trouble in Missouri, and it was all fun. Don't like those Eastern boys, I'll tell you. <laughs> but anyway, so a good transition point. I want to get into a story about a deer that you killed in 2016, I believe it was, if I remember right. Yeah, boomerang. Boomerang. Yes, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna talk about this deer because this deer. You had a lot of history with this deer. You hunted this deer for, if I remember right, three years or four years? Yeah, well, hunted him for two years, and um, he was on the radar on the farm for three years that we knew of. Um, But, yeah, knew of him when he was three and a half, killed him when he was five and a half. Yeah, so kind of break down for everybody, you know, the property situation, how big your property is, kind of what it consists of, and let's kind of go into that first year when you actually, you know, you, you, you encountered him and you knew he was around and how he got his name. So we have 140 acres of the home farm and, um, we're surrounded by, um, all managed property. Like the property to the North of us is like, you know, 15, eight, eight to 1500 acres, however you want to look at it. Um, consecutive with one owner and uh he's a big buck nut you know from out of state and uh, so we have the luxury our farm we've put a lot of work into our farm with food plots and and crp and some hinge cuts and anything we can do to make our property better to hold deer to bring more deer in to filter more deer through we, we try to do it and uh we've had a lot of success over the last several years you know killing really good deer like you know, 80s, 70s, 60s type deer, um, pushing 190s deer last year. And um, <clears throat> so we've had a lot of success um, building the property up and, and and being able to harvest some of the older, uh, bigger bucks on the property. Um, so the, the story with that deer was we encountered when he was three, knew he was going to be something nice, but didn't know exactly what he'd become. He had really good mass as an eight point. And uh, uh, the following year, picked him back up on trail cameras. I was right. He turned into like ball bat mass. I mean, really heavy, real thick, good main beams. Uh, just a really unique deer. Um, was he on the farm all year, like from summer throughout the whole year? Was he? Did he live on the farm? No, no. He, he lived south of our property um the best i could tell from the trail cameras but once september came around he moved to our property and stayed there with with the exception he would dart off to the south and check check some ditches or have a little you know run around overnight or something but he'd always be back on the cameras like daily now, why do you think he was hanging around your farm more come the fall? I think, honestly, it's just because of all the work we put into the property and, and made it so attractable. I mean, we've, we've got 140 acres, and we've literally got one, two, three, four, five, six or seven food plots on it, you know, that are anywhere from a quarter to an acre. Um, so we have a lot of food, um, plus we have corn and beans up on top. Um and we have quite a bit of timber on the property that that joins a lot of timber also. So we get a lot of different bucks moving through our property. Um, I think that's really why. I mean, he just 
he lived on a different property through the most of the year because he wasn't being bothered. He didn't have to compete for anything. And then once season came around where he started to think about running around chasing does and, and whatever else, and all that attractive green food comes in that he relocates to our property, which he's not really locate relocating very far because he was just a farmer. So to the South. So, you know, he, he just, but once he moved, he moved and he did it three years in a row. So I knew that's what he was doing. And, and I can say he did that because, I mean, I would always pick him up on the south end of my property on the cameras first. If I picked him up first, I mean, the first time I pick him up, it always be the south. And then he would move throughout the farm and I get him on all the other trail cameras. So um, back and forth like that. Um, so the, the second year when he was four and a half years old, we we're hunting a food plot one night. We had a cold front come in mid late september i think season had been over for open for a week or two and i my wife and i went out she actually had the bow in her hand at this time and uh he came out in the food plot worked his way up to us he was four and a half and he was quartering he was quartering to us and we could not she was she was a full draw but she could not get the quartering shot or the broadside shot so um we elected to let him walk and then we never saw him again on trail cameras but not in person he was a very um very wise deer uh very smart deer so that would have been 2014 he would have been four that would have been that would have been 15 i killed him in 16 okay so 2015 he would have been four and a half and you saw him once on the hoof that year now explain his rack a little bit what do you have for headgear so real massive real massive beams and when he came up from his from his bases he carried that mass all the way out to his tips now he was just an eight point okay um which you know i don't care if they're eight or if they're 22 points i mean if they're four and a half or they're a buck that i i I like for a characteristic or whatever then i'm gonna pursue them but this particular deer his main beam is i think it was his left main beam it looked just like a boomerang came up swirled around and came back in kind of and instantly it was real thick and Paul made it like you know like a like a boomerang they're real thick and kind of um they're thin but they're they're wide and I just thought he was he it resembled a boomerang so uh that's the handle I gave him um and it stuck so then transition from well you're still in 15 you and Christy encountered him on on the food plot so you got him on trail cam the rest of that year but never saw him on the hoof so explain the trail cams like was he pretty sporadic or did you have a pretty good pattern on him was he nocturnal like what was that situation no absolutely not he was he was nocturnal but he was also he was a daylight walker also it just it turned out for me as i was either working or or hunting a different farm hunting a different deer or something where i was never on him you know um so the deer was killable i just i hadn't put as much time as I could probably to, to really pin him down. You know what I mean? In, Mm -hmm. in, in 15, um, which is fine because he was, we never saw him again on hoof that year. Um, just trail cameras. And when I picked him up in 16, the summer of 16, when he first came across my trail camera, I was like, Whoa, I mean, cause he almost as crazy as it sounds, he'd put on a lot of mass. I mean, he had like eight inch bases. So what do you think he jumped from score wise from fifteen to sixteen from four and a half to to five and a half? Thirties to fifty. So you know? he he was a hundred and thirty inch eight pointer as a four and a half, and then he went up to in the fifty mid you know one fifties. Low, 
low 150s as a as a five and a half year old eight pointer, which is a big eight pointer. Yeah, just real, real massive. I mean, not even long times. I mean, he doesn't even have long times, which is crazy. Um, he's just got really, really big bases and continues all the way out to the end of his main beams and all of his points that were short were still just fat and 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 just massive points. So um <clears throat> so we've seen him all 16 and had him on trail cameras and I really wanted to to get a crack at him that year and he was living on the neighboring property to the south which was a lease and um those guys were hunting it and 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 even you know even like you and you and lee had came up or was it you lee had came up with adam that's earlier i believe and then i was coming later late season like january you know so like the last week of season so to let everybody know the lease that was to the south lee lee and i and and steven you know, had permission to hunt this lease. It was actually Chris and Casey's lease that they never hunted that year and they would let us come over there and hunt. And that's kind of, we would take, you know, if we could kill some does or if we had a nice buck come out, that's, you know, we could hunt that. And, and that lease was basically consisted of a lot of ag with a couple of ditches that ran through it, which, which late season, leaving some food that, property is dynamite but to look at it you know it's just like oh it's a whole bunch of ag well if you can leave some food on that with those ditches i mean late season that those fields light up and that particular year it was corn and we had left some corn so yeah um, just to explain it a little further there so yeah so so the deer boomerang had been daylighting on those on the trail cameras on the standing corn and we moved a bank's blind into the standing corn and brushed didn't didn't even brush it in we moved it in knocked down corn in front of it made some shooting lanes and just waited for the right time to hunt it and i knew that lee ab adam they're all going to make their appearance so i mean he was right there for them to kill um and before lee came i told him i was like hey you know i know he's coming from the south somewhere but he's daylight and he's using this ventro and i think you know put in some time and I think you'll be able to kill him. And, and, uh, and Lee, you know, he gave it a college effort. Like he was all over that deer. He, he never saw the deer in daylight. Um, except for one time he thinks he might have saw him. And I'll tell you that at the end of where I'm going here, but him and Adam hunt that location for like three or four days straight. And then he has to go to Phoenix to film something for brotherhood and they leave. And I told him, I was like, Hey, when you guys are done hunting him, I'm going to, I'm going to hunt over there. You know, I'm going to try to try to knock one down over on the corn. And, uh, so I picked Lee's brain a little bit. I'm like, did you see him? Do you think you saw him? What do you think? And he's like, well, I think I might've saw him one night coming across the hill, but I don't really know if it was him. Cause it was in the, you know, he was daylighted there and I could just see a silhouette and I'm like, okay. So they leave i'm at work and i'm thinking about the whole situation i'm like where is that deer at where is he coming from what's he doing and why was he daylight and now he's not something's happened that that's messed him up and i called lee up and i said hey i said what's up and he's like not much man i was like question for you he's like what's that and i'm like i'm hunting the rooster lease tonight he's like okay and i said where were you parking and he said well i was parking at the head of the ditch on the gravel and i said okay 
I said, by the pond. He said, yeah. I said, okay. I said, all right. I said, well, I'm going to go kill Boomerang tonight. Um, thanks for the information, and uh, I'll send you pictures. <laughs> and, and they just, and he just laughs, you know. They're just like, whatever. We hunted that deer four or five days, never saw him once, so whatever. I'm like, okay. So here's, I mean, this, my mind's working all the time. And it's not just with this deer. It's, it works with every deer that I'm, I'm hunting or, you know, wanting to go after what's he doing where's he coming why is he using this ventro why is he using this ditch well, i mean all this stuff goes through my head so my thinking was the deer was living across the gravel in one singular ditch and from uh, to the south of the rusherly so yes to break the break the big picture down for everybody so steven's family farm picture that being to the far north yep. and then it goes the rusherly and then this deer boomerang was living the set to the south of the rooster lease. So he was coming through the rooster lease to Stevens farm, but he was hitting the rooster corn to before he got to Stevens farm. I think he was actually living on the rooster lease, just on the South side of the gravel. See the rooster lease, 169 acres split by a gravel road. And it's all open corn and beans, except for just two ditches coming through it. Three ditches, maybe. Um, so he was living on the south side of the gravel road on the rooster lease in one ditch. That's about 600 yards long, probably, and probably 100 yards wide. Um, but I did, I put that together. I had some trail cameras running. I'd, I'd had him over there on that ditch. I'd had him a lot on our farm. He was everywhere, on, uh, just back and forth. And uh, so going through what, what the process was in my head, I'm like, why does he not showing up when they're hunting him? He's been there. Every day in daylight, the past week and a half, what's going on? And come to find out what my intel and my brain, they were parking at the head of the ditch. The deer was coming up the ditch, seeing the car or the truck, and it was turning around and going back. They were cutting him off, literally parking and cutting him off. Mm-hmm. So Lee, the great white hunter, was cutting his own throat and, <laughs> and didn't even know it. So... um so what I what I did was I told him I'll kill him tonight, but I'm gonna go kill him and here we go, you know. And they're like, whatever, I'll, like, I'll send you pictures. Well, I go and I'd already put it in my head what was going on, and I parked at the far end of the rooster lease and I made a big walk in, um, a big swooping walk versus walking just straight over the hill to the blind. And literally, I mean, we had some blowing snow that night. I know that took effect in him being up on his feet, but. He came from the west, which he came straight out of that ditch, dropped into the other ditch, came out of the west, and right down the tree line, I see him. I'm in the banks blind over standing corn and knocked down corn, and he is on my family farm property line. So I have a 140-acre block of timber to the north, and he is on the very south line of it, which is all open fields where I'm sitting with standing corn. And he's about 200 yards from me on the fence row. And... I'm like, wow, there he is, you know, big old tank, muscular, five-year-old body and big buck. I knew instantly when I saw him, you know, who it was. And So the deer comes up and looks at the blind, looks at the corn, and uh, does. he's not going to commit. He, he literally turns and walks the other way a little bit, and, and he's kind of going slow. And I'm like, man, you know, I just – I'll kill him, but I was, I was hoping tonight would be the night. And uh, – so I just watch him, and, and pretty soon, out of nowhere, now this is in December, out of nowhere, 
a, like a, a year and a half or a yearling doe comes blowing out of the timber and her tail's just twitching and she's doing a little jig and a dance feeling her oats i guess and she stops at about 70 yards from boomerang and flips her tail and looks at him and he turns around and faces her and then she turns and runs straight to me i'm like wow what in the hell is she doing you know i'm like what is this what is this crazy doe doing you know and and she's real young and literally that's all it took boomerang turns jumps the fence and just marches straight to me on a string and he was literally in the corn for probably 10 minutes before i even got him killed he was you know he was at 50 yards he was at 40 yards for a while he was at 45 yards for a while and finally got him into like 38 yards and uh got him broadside when i was able to to uh to draw my bow and and uh and stick him but i hit him and i've never seen this happen um and i I can't even explain it um when i shot he fell straight down and instantly i grab another arrow and i'm thinking i've spined him and looking at him laying there at 40 yards i mean i didn't spine him i double lunged him and my arrow is sticking out of him on both sides and he is still act he just acting like he was spying so i ended up shooting him again and uh and finishing him off real quick but um i've never ever seen that i've never double lunged a deer in my life and they just fell straight down and acted like they got hit with a gun basically or shot with a gun you know that's what he acted like um, yeah <clears throat> but but yeah sweet 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 story and i ended up calling lee um i think chris and casey and um, I think even UAB, you know, from the field there and, and FaceTiming and, and showing the deer yep. and everyone to everyone. And, and, uh, it was a good, it was a good story and a really fun hunt. I mean, it's fun to figure those deer out. It is. And that's a good transition point to another question I have here in a hot second, but what did, what did he ended up scoring? Do you remember? Yeah, he's like a low fifties. I, I taped him out like 153, 152. Um, okay. and I, I'm not going to be hung up on it. I know that's where he's at somewhere around 150 and now it could be 153. It could be 149. He's right there. I mean, he's a giant deer. I mean, I've, I've got to hold him and his bases. I, I mean, when he says they're, they're like Coke cans that, I mean, they are, they are literally so like, you can't put your, your whole hand around them. I, I just couldn't believe his, the mass on that deer and, and, I haven't seen mass on a deer like that since since Casey and I uh, killed Megatron in Illinois, that 182-inch eight-pointer back in 2014. Yeah, and, I mean, he had like, I don't know, he had like 43 or 45 inches of mass. You know, that's just unbelievable. And I bet you Boomerang had at, at least that, you know, yeah. not close. I mean, it was because his, his tines, like you said, were pretty short. They were, um, yeah but he was all mass. So no, that's, that's cool. And like I said, a good transition point there, you know, one thing, and this is something I've never really asked Steven, and it's, it's something just from me observing and getting to see him do his thing in the fall, the last four years. And, and he has got an unbelievable ability to get on mature deer and his stand placement is spot on i mean there's times where i've went and sat some stands you know that you've that you've hung and you're like you need to go up there 
and hunt this stand. It's a good win for it. Yada, yada. You, you know, you'll give me the, the song and dance and everything. And I get up there and I'm like, you know, you've had this, everybody gets this feeling. It's like, man, I'm not going to see a deer out of this. And all of a sudden here comes the biggest deer you've ever seen in your life. And I'm like, holy shit. How, I mean, he was spot on. He told me he was going to come up the head of the ditch. He was going to come over this hog's back and there he is. And I'm like, your ability to put a stand somewhere and, and figure these deer out is just unbelievable. I mean, second to none for people that I know and to get on big deer. So basically what I want to what I want to break down is, you know, when you're breaking down a piece of piece of ground, what are you doing to, to, uh, single out these, these, uh, these places. Now I know the farms that you have, you've hunted your whole life. Um, so let's, let's, let's make it a little more challenging. Let's say it's a new piece that you're going into. What are the steps you're taking to find the best area to get the best success killing the biggest deer on the farm well thank you first and foremost for the compliment i don't feel like that i feel like i this is this is me i just i enjoy it i love it it's a passion it runs through my blood i just enjoy um stepping on a piece of dirt for the first time or you know for the 50th time and there's there's still pieces i've hunted all my life they don't have figured out you know and and I'm, I'm always adjusting. I'm always doing something. I'm always observing. Um, so I appreciate you saying that. Um, but I'm no better at it than you are, um, honestly, in, in the in the grand gist of things. Um, my deal is, is I'm more conservative off the get-go than I am just blow in and hang. Um, so this particular farm we're talking about is a big chunk of timber and, and then it, it drops off really hard to the South or to the North and goes down to some ag fields. And, you know, I remember, you know, watching one of Lee Lakowski's hunts several years ago and he was talking, you know, I'm not, I'm not really in this stand, right. You know, I I'm in it, but I'm going to have deer downwind of me over here, but, but here's the thing, I'm sitting on a the top of a hill and it drops straight down. I have a shelf that drops straight down for about 150 yards and everything that crosses underneath me, all my wind blows over. And if it's in the morning, my thermals are rising and my wind's still blowing over them so they're not winding me. And and I, I related that to this particular form because that's how it lays out. And so when I first moved in and did that, I killed a 163 um, out of one of the stands that I placed. And uh, so after that, I, I saw what that deer, he was a four and a half, and I saw what he did. And I'm like, okay, well, they're using this main dish. They're coming up, crossing the hogs back, working down um, towards the pinch down here. And so, so I move into a property, and first and foremost, I'm looking to be, I'm trying to get to the best area but I'm trying to observe the best area from a hundred to 200 yards out because I would much rather put my eyes on the deer and try to call to the deer. If it does not work, like most of the time it doesn't work. You know, if it did work every time, we'd all have a bunch of deer on our wall, but it doesn't. And, now, and that's what I like about it. But um, I try to get to a spot where I think is the one of the right location. And then I hang back a little bit and try to observe and watch the deer movement first. And then 
make adjustments after a year or so, or if for some act of God, I get a big four or five or six year old using that when I'm observing him, then of course I'll drop the set and move it and try to get on it immediately. But uh, for the most part, I move it to where I think it should be, hang back a little bit and then observe and then fine tune it. Um, But I've been very fortunate um, in my life of hunting some very good ground um, and some ground that's laid out right, you know, that, you know, anyone can do it. It's, it's, it's nothing that, you know, it's, it's just something that I've just taken a big liking to. And I just really, really enjoy stepping on new ground and, and dialing it in. You know, it's not always perfect the first time, but, um, that's also something I like about it, you know, is that you get it close and then you just kind of fine tune it. So. Yeah. And that, and that's, that's kind of what, and I've been really picking your brain, you and, and Jake Ellinger, about um you know my one acre farm here in Michigan and I think this year I've got it set up you know about as the best it can be as far as stand placements and it's just now getting in it and figuring out and hunting I mean obviously it's one acre but uh you know when I say it's just one acre there's there's actually more that goes to it you know the the neighbors have warm season grasses with with a whole bunch of um you know, uh, dogwood and, and out of olive and everything on the other, other side. So that really helps out too. Now, if it was just one acre in the middle of a section and that's all it was, it, I mean, it was, I'm not saying it wouldn't be, wouldn't be good, but it, it, there's some other things that make it, make it pretty good. Just so the the listeners know, AV's not hunting one acre in Michigan. It's a, it's a bigger farm with a one acre, one acre or so patch of timber that he's done some, some hinge cutting and some and habitat working to, to enhance it. Yeah, and I'm not going to lie, and I don't know if I've given you many updates about that, but since Jake and I went in there and did that, we did that early December. We did all that hinge cutting. And now um, I thought it was going to be corn this year because it was, it was beans last year, but my brother-in-law is going to do beans again this year, Yeah, um, which is no big deal. But – uh, since Jake and I went in there and the whole plan Jake and I were talking about it's, and I was talking with you as well is, is stay the heck out of there. Yep. You know, it's not very big. Don't pressure it, get in, get out, be done with it. Let it sit the whole summer until you get that first cold front, go in there and hunt it, you know? And we went in there, opened up the canopy, thickened it up. And I'm telling you what, there is a group of deer that live in there right now that is I was back there um it was a rainy day it was a couple weeks ago I went and I'm like it's raining I know it's you know midsummer but I I just figured it'd still be good if it's raining get in there hang my stands and and just get out and be done with it and uh went in there and hung all the stands I've got three stands set in the one acre of timber um on each point basically and then uh and then on the south end, on that on that uh, south point, um, I've got another stand for like a, a decoy setup. Basically, it's it's looking over where three ag fields meet each other. And through the last three years, deer just for some reason they flock to that point. I don't know why, but you just see a lot of deer at that point. Whether you're driving by or you're hunting and you just kind of look over, there's always deer at that point. So I'm like, well, 
it's worth putting a stand there. And if it's like a rut and you get a, I've had a decoy work very well here in Michigan and uh, killed some pretty good deer over a decoy. So I'm like, Oh, that'd be a good opportunity for me to do that. So, but back to the one acre, we've made three different, you know, sets of beds and went in there and did some detail work and cut a lot of trails through there. And <laughs> I, I never would have guessed it, but I see it firsthand now. It works. Do you use those trails? They use those beds, and it's so thick now that they want to be in there, and yeah. it's only one acre, and they prefer that over the 20-acre piece of timber that's wide open that's not 100 yards away from it. It's 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 crazy to me. Yeah, and just think if you go in there, well, you, and I said you can't probably, I think, but if you had the ability on that 20-acre timber to go in there and make two different uh, separate hinge cuts on each end of it. Yep you would literally hold double the amount of deer that that property is eligible to hold right now on the, on the carrying capacity, just because they can't see each other. Yep, exactly. And that's what Jake, that's what Jake said. We're walking by that 20 acre piece and he's like, can we hinge cut that? And I said, (laughs) no, I wish we could, because he's like, that is the woods that I love to hinge cut. I mean, it's a 20 acre piece of timber and it kind of gets a low one where one area, but it, I mean, in the winter, you can see right through it, you know, you can see to the other side of it and, um, it would have been pretty cool if we, if we could have, but we can't. Yeah. So. Jake, Jake from state farm would have made fast, fast <laughs> work from that with a chainsaw in about 30 minutes. He would have had both bedrooms created and, and down and it would have been a done deal. Yep. He's a madman when you put a chainsaw in that guy's hand. He is an architect. He knows exactly what he's doing. And he does it very, very well. Yep. He's going to be coming on here on here soon. Whenever him and I can hook up, he's a very busy man. Yeah. It's hard to get a hold of him, but he's, uh, he's I think very he knowledgeable. Was, I think he said he was screening your calls, actually. He probably <laughs> did say that. Not really. Well, he, he texted you and I the other day about his, his – he got back a Brutus, and you never replied to him. I was the only replied to him. Yeah, don't don't worry about that. I called him. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh you my would. gosh. But um, to go back, I got one more question. What you got to talk to talk about? Uh, you know about your stand placement, everything. What is what is your number one feature that you like in a woods? Now, is that an ag field? Are you looking for a really good pinch? What does that pinch look like if so? I mean, what do you look at the most and it's like, okay, I got to get a stand right in here, even if you didn't know anything about that property? Yeah. So I'm fortunate enough, you know, in the Midwest, we have a lot of inside corners. We have a lot of slivers of timber connecting blocks of timber. And I love them. I love inside corners off ag fields. Um, I love hunting. Uh, I love to figure out where doe bed, doe bedrooms are and, uh, and hunt the outskirts of them in the rut. Um, I think it's the downwind side of them. I should say, I think it's absolutely dynamite. I think you, uh, you catch, you know, certainly probably 60% of your bucks on that property circling, uh, those downwind sides. And, uh, if you're set up right, I think you can get them between you and the bed, and uh and capitalize on that but but what i look for just off the get-go um say i pull up a new farm for somebody i look at the aerial map i'm looking at 
pinch points. I'm looking at funnels. I'm looking at inside corners. Um, and then once I get boots on the ground, then I start looking for uh, designated bedrooms and where I think, uh, you know, doe bedrooms are and, and then how I can set up safely off of those to observe and then readjust once, once I get some time in the seat. Um, but in a nutshell, that's what I'm looking for is inside corners, funnels, and pinch points. So what, like explain a pinch point to everybody that might not know what a pinch point is. Like give a, give a couple different scenarios. So I, I described like a, um, um, so on a particular farm I have, I have a big block of timber to the South and I have a big block of timber to the East. Okay. And connecting those two is a fence row on both ends coming from the east and the south that connects a little three-acre patch timber, okay? So instantly when I look on the map, I'm like, okay, well, I can hunt that block of timber right there on a south wind, and I'm going to catch either calling or just cruising. I'm going to catch the, the natural movement of the deer moving from block of timber to block of timber using that little three-acre patch of timber between them. So I go in there, I do some hinge cutting, I do some uh, blocking um, just to, I find out what trails are using the most and I figure out the tree and then I do blocking behind the tree for my entrance and um, it pinches it pinches those deer down when they come into that block of timber and they hit that main trail or I see them and they come my direction towards the stand my hinge cutting and my blockers that I've cut pinches those deer right to where I need them is to where is it's, I've already figured out that's where they want to go and where they want to come from anyway. So basically all I did was made it easy for me. I made them, they want to come out of there. They want to go to there. So I just make them go a certain direction. that gives me a broadside shot um, to get an arrow on one of them. But that's what I'm looking for is just a thin piece of timber or a small patch of timber that connect two larger pots of timber, or even just, you know, you have a block of timber with a fentro, a brushy fentro between it, you know, connecting the two pieces. Then you hunt that fentro somehow for the right direction to get in and out of it. And, uh, <clears throat> man, during the last week of October, the first week of November, you can really capitalize on some cruising bucks in those parts. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I've I've seen you do it firsthand. You're really good at that. Like I said, your your stand placement to me is just you put stands in places that it's just – dynamite and honestly so that that year 2015 when i went down there late season and lee and i were hunting um trash man we were we were we were hunting trash man and that deer i mean i mean you could have hunted him you could have sat all day to try to kill him in january so in january he was so like crazy on the cameras i mean one o'clock 10 a.m 9 9 a.m 9 p.m like it was just like you had no idea when he was going to be there. But anyway, we knew we needed to be down in that pinch um, on the inside corner of that uh, winter wheat field. Yeah. Because that's just – and we had to wait. I think it was like four or five days we had to wait because we didn't have a good enough wind to get down there. So we hunted an observation stand that we could have killed him from, you know. Um, Hanging it. Yeah, well, 
it didn't help that when we went in to hang the stand and the tree I wanted to get in, and he's sitting under the tree <laughs> at noon. <laughs> yeah. And that's what you meant by it. That deer was all over the cameras at all different times of the hour or the day. So you didn't know – we didn't know where we were going to see him or where we were going to kill him, but we knew we were going to see him if we could get there. Right, and you and I had talked about sitting in this particular spot because you could see a majority of the farm and see all these ditches. So if we were going to lay an eyeball on him, basically we were going to just try to find him, figure out where he was moving, and then move in. Because I had seven to eight days to hunt. Yeah. Well, going in there first day, I said, you know, I wanted to get in this tree, walked in there at noon, and he's under the tree that we're trying to hang in. He spooked, obviously, and... Didn't help. It's an eight and a half. He was an eight no. and a half year old deer. Yeah, I mean it's a, a near impossible deer to kill, and so I hung the stand anyway, thinking, well, maybe we didn't bugger him too bad. And it was bitter cold, bitter cold. We hunted morning and night for that deer, and saw a lot of deer, saw a lot of bucks. Never saw him again. Well, we knew we went, we had to get in that inside corner, <clears throat> and finally got the right wind after four days. We took that stand down, went and hung it, went to the truck, went back to Casey's General Store and got some chicken bites for lunch, went back to the stand and and uh, sat it, and he didn't end up coming by, but another good, you know, another good eight-pointer, uh, you know, a four-year-old came by that night, and, you know, it was the second to last day of season, and he was, you know, he was a good deer, good mature deer, and I stuck him, and that was that was, you know, they just wanted to be in that winter wheat field, and it was a perfect pinch right there out of that ditch. You yeah, know? yeah, it worked slick. You you capitalized on that, and like I said, you you put in a few days and did your homework. I mean, it didn't. It just wasn't like an obvious, like, oh, you know, these deer are coming across an open CRP field, and this we we had cameras running, and and you were checking cameras, and you were putting in your, you know, doing your time and putting in your homework on it. So, um, it all come together for you, and. And like I said, you know, you you give me all this credit or whatever, but you do it every year too. And and uh, the only difference between you and I is I'm in Missouri and you're in Michigan. Yeah, there's a little bit of a difference there. <laughs> well, you're right. I'm 280 pounds and you're 160. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. That's generous. 160. I'm actually like one 180 right now. <laughs> 180. <laughs> well, I'm gonna. I'm gonna let you get off here just because you know we're we've been we've been talking at it for a little while here, and but I appreciate you coming on, man, and it, I just love talking deer hunting with you, and you've been a wealth of knowledge to me over the last four years, teaching me some new things, and and uh, I've taken a lot of what you've said, and and it's it's worked here in Michigan too, you know, and um the biggest thing that i like that you do like you said you're 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 patient you're patient because you can be patient now a lot a lot of guys can't be patient yeah just because they might be going on a out-of-state hunt for three or four days or five days and then you know you kind of got to move in a little bit but you're patient and that's what i'm really trying to start to do this year and you've really talked me through that being more of a disciplined hunter and um and that's that's what i'm really trying to do and and so far this summer, it's been paying off. Like I said, with the one acre, you know, the deer are in there. They're, you know, they're not spooked right now. I just need to stay out of there and, uh, and hopefully get, get me or the wife will get an arrow in one of them this year within that timber. So 
Yeah, I'm sure you guys will. <clears throat> and, and along the way, you know, um, I've had a lot of help along the way with some pretty cool people and some really good uh, influences. And, you know, I've, I've told this to, to people before, but like, you know, I grew up and I, I told Mark Jury to his face one day in Iowa that I grew up literally um, I, if you walk into my house right now and you know this, but if you open up my, um, entertainment center under the TV in the living room, there's almost like every single jury video that's ever like DVD that's ever been made. Yep. And I used to annoy the hell out of my wife or she was my girlfriend at the time. I would literally watch those movies over and over because they were doing stuff. Mark and Terry in particular were doing stuff that people weren't. I mean, they were telling the whole story from start to finish on a particular deer of the season of their farms, of how they set up, they got into detail. And it was like, I was in just infatuated with it. Like I just, I couldn't get enough of it. So to the point where I've watched the same DVD like two or three or four or five times in a row, because I just wanted to sink in, you know? <clears throat> and so along with that, I've learned a lot of my stuff um, from watching Mark and Terry jury set farms up and kill big deer. And, and uh, I, I just let that stuff sink in and, and that's graduated and, and um, got to the point to where now, you know, I'm working with uh, uh, QDMA and uh, I've got some awesome people that I can call, um, call friends now. And, and, and actually if I have a question, I can call and ask them and um, like, just like, Jake Elinger, you know, Jake's a great guy and he, you know, does habitat stuff in Michigan and all over the United States for clients. And he does stuff that a lot of people aren't doing and it's, it's working. It's worked on his farm. Like he's a, his farm in Michigan is a legacy farm for QDMA. And I mean, that's like crazy. I mean, that's like the top status you can get like in a farm habitat status for the QDMA department that it's just, it's nuts. And he's just an animal and he's helping other people do this. And then, you know, there's people like Dr. Craig Harper from Tennessee, you know, and he, he knows all the information. Like if I have any kind of a question on calibrating sprayers or fertilizer or anything, I mean, I just call him up and say, Hey, I got this, I got this. And he's like, okay, you need to do this and you should do this. I mean, he's a wealth of knowledge. And then, just like with Matt Ross and Kip Adams of the QDMA, I'm actually in, uh, like you mentioned earlier, I'm in New York right now, sitting in a hotel. But all the last three days, I've been on Kip Adams' personal farm in, Pens in northern Pennsylvania. And, uh, they had a, uh, a QDMA deer modular for habitat enhancement. And uh, we we're fortunate enough to walk all over Kip Adams' farm and, and see how they've done timber stand improvement and how they've done um, timber harvesting and how they've, you know, early successional and food plots and just everything they've done on their 700 acres they do uh for the quality of deer and deer hunting for the family and the kids and um the property shows i mean it's it's a deer hunting camp and it's a it's a mecca and they're doing things right i mean he's killing five five-year-old deer consistently off that farm and and has been for a few years i'm, I'm pretty sure so <clears throat> um yeah, so like I said, I, I've just got a, a wealth of knowledge at my fingertips, and I'm a very, very fortunate, lucky, blessed man to have that. And uh, it's not a secret, you know. So if you ask me, I'll tell you. If anyone asks me, I'll tell you what I know because I've had to ask questions to get, you know, um, anything that I know. And, and 
you know, like I said, I'm nothing special. I'm just a guy who, I'm just a country boy from Northern Missouri who loves deer hunting and is very passionate about it. So, um, I'm happy to do whatever I got to do to help anyone else out. Yeah. And I'm excited that, uh, I can call you one of my best friends because, uh, all that knowledge, then I could just call you every day. I talk to you every day on the phone. <laughs> yeah. And even if I, I got a question and uh, I just call you and I know Steven knows, <laughs> even if I don't know the answer, I'm going to tell you, I do. And then I'm going to tell you, I have to go use the restroom <laughs> and then call somebody and get the answer and call you back. So. Yeah. So you're, you're a good liar and good bullshitter. Too. <laughs> yeah. Definitely a good bullshitter. <laughs> Well, I'm gonna let you. Uh, I'm gonna let you enjoy your hotel for one more night and get on the plane tomorrow morning and go back and see your girls. And um, absolutely, I appreciate you coming ready. on, man. Yeah, no problem, buddy. Thanks for having me. I, um, like I said, I never expected it, but I, I greatly appreciate it. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's a new thing that is very catchy for, um, uh, for everybody who wants to just talk deer hunting and listen to deer hunting instead of listening to maybe a baseball game or a football game or, or golf or whatever at work or something like that. They can just listen to a, a podcast. And I think it's awesome. You know, it's a lot of good information. Yeah, for sure. And that I'm going to, you know, we, we didn't even scratch the service on everything that you're doing and with the management side of things. So I want to, I know you're just buying a new farm right now and I'd like to get you back on and break down that farm and really, you know, hone in on everything that you're going to be doing on it to, to improve it within the next couple of years. And oh, man. I, think, uh, I think that'll be a cool podcast as well. But again, man, I'm going to let you get to sleep. It's uh 10 after 11 on Sunday night. And uh, it's a kind of a last minute deal. And I'm, like I said, I'm grateful you were able to come on here and talk about this and, and we'll do this again for sure, man. It's, you know, just a another bs session that you and i have on our phone but just this time we're recording it so <laughs> yeah well we always have a lot of interesting topics to talk about and i don't think everyone will want to hear all those topics no <laughs> no <laughs> we'll just stick to the we'll just stick to the deer hunting ones. let's do that <laughs> all right man i appreciate it we'll talk to you all right bro have a good night and there you have it i hope everybody enjoyed that podcast Steven Stockman is honestly the best guy I've probably ever met. I mean, he would give the shirt off his back to, to anybody in need before before helping himself out. He's he's just he's an awesome guy. He he's a really good deer hunter and he's a great family man. And I've I'm I really I'm really glad that uh, I've got to know him over the last four years and really appreciative of him and his family, you know. Christy, his wife, and his his daughters, Cadence and Presley in Oakland, you know, for opening up their doors and and letting me come and hunt with them on their farms and and staying with them at their house. And, you know, I just can't thank them enough. And I'm just really glad that they're a part of my life. They're really great people to be around. So thanks again to Steven. And uh, also, everybody, if you could go to iTunes and and leave a five-star rating and leave some feedback, it would be much appreciated. And don't forget, next Wednesday, an all-new episode of the Fall Podcast. See you guys. Thursdays with Saltwater Experience, brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts, every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. 
For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more.